0: It was the dull, sightless, vulture's eye that shredded his final nerve. Edgar Allan Poe, today on the Classic Tales Podcast. Welcome to this vintage episode of the Classic Tales Podcast. Thank you for listening. Two vintage episodes are released each week, on Mondays and Wednesdays, so be sure to check your feed regularly. New episodes will be available every Friday. Please help us to keep the vintage episodes coming by going to ClassicTalesAudioBooks.com and becoming a supporter. Thank you so much. In today's story, an unarmed narrator attempts to convince us of his sanity while simultaneously describing a murder he committed. The Telltale Heart was first published 180 years ago, in 1843. I heard a radio version of this story, where they have different voice actors tempt, or guide, the narrator through the steps of the murder, which was rather effective. When I first recorded this, back in 2007, it was in the middle of the night, and I was the only one awake, and really into the height of the drama, and right at the critical point, a car drove by with some crazy bass going on. It sounded just like a heart beating, and it nearly gave me a heart attack. This recording was the number three best selling audiobook at the iTunes Music Store in 2008. And now, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe.
1: True. Nervous? Very. Very dreadfully nervous I had been, and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. (sighs) Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad madmen know nothing but you should have seen me you should have seen how wisely i proceeded with what caution with what foresight with what dissimulation i went to work i was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before i killed him and every night about midnight i turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head in within the opening so far that I could see him, as he lay upon his bed. (laughs) Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously. Oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked, I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye, and this I did for seven long nights, every night, just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watcher's minute hand! moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, But no, his room was as black as pitch with a thick darkness, for the shutters were close-fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. Oh, no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney, it is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes. He had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he never saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily,
0: stealthily,
1: until at length, a single dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And now... Have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over acuteness of the senses? Now, I say... There came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, just as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage, but even yet... I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, in the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror, yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still, but the beating grew louder. Louder! I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard, a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done, but for many minutes the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, It ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily but in silence. I took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber, and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out. No stain of any kind, no blood-spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. When I had made an end of these labours, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a-knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves, with perfect suavities, officers of the police. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues. While I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long I felt myself getting pale, and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat, and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound. Much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose, and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited by fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what could I do? I foamed. I raved. I swore. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder. Louder. Louder! And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no. Louder. Villains! I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here. Here! It is the beating of his hideous heart.
0: This is B.J. Harrison. I hope you've enjoyed this vintage episode of The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. We've got more classic fiction by Bram Stoker, Sheridan LaFanu, Mary Shelley, and others at classictalesaudiobooks.com. Click on over and check it out. Thank you for joining me today and allowing classic literature to awaken your better self. Please join me next time and we'll rediscover the greatest stories ever put to paper. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.